Chapter 3 Vows Today is Memorial Day. Our neighbors are setting off explosions and firing guns down the road in farmers' fields. Celebrating, I guess. Our, our military strength. One day, perhaps our military might truly be a memory on a Memorial Day. One day, perhaps our military might be a force that we actually need, not so much in war, but one that we're able to use in different ways to protect this earth. I woke with a dream that took me into the past, present, and future all at once. I was in a New York City apartment with Christina, preparing for a wedding. Not ours, not someone I was even sure we knew. It was some kind of marriage ceremony that many were preparing for. We had three rooms in this apartment, small spaces, but just what we needed, no more, no less. Everything had its space and place. Things went together perfectly. The furniture, the colors, the textures, a solid home base, beauty way. Red and brick ceremonial colors were dominant. A man arrived to take us to the venue. I remember looking down as I have many times in my life, asking seriously, Oh my, do I have the right shoes on? Do I need socks or stockings? Am I okay to go, ready to meet and greet, what was coming clear to be a significant, powerful group of people in a ceremony. The next moment, I was at a fancy table, seated with some kind of dignitaries, we might call them. He, the head of the table, asked me why I was there. And I told my story, a story, some story, about me, our world, our times, the needs and dreams I carried for many beyond myself. When I finished speaking, I looked down, and I saw that my fingernails, filled with dirt from work on the land and soil in the garden, stood out. I cringed, remembering a time in my young days fundraising for women, giving a pitch to the owner of the Denver Broncos. I remembered my cohort in that journey, saying it was my dirty fingernails, uncleanable with stains from our construction site, that probably lost us the grant. And here I was, again, at another white tablecloth moment. Only this time, the funding candidate, as he turned out to be, put up his hand to high-five me. All of our hands were dirty, one could say, in the best of ways. It was clear we all were to be partners in the work, the down-to-earth work that needed to be done. And we were all needed. It was kind of an all-hands-on-deck moment, or perhaps all hands and hearts focused on the ground, the earth, its care, our care shared future. Today I watched the film telling the story of different spiritual leaders from different traditions meeting at Armageddon. There they were praying for and confirming that a new story, 
other than our demise as a species, is possible. It was beautiful to see this group of spirit ambassadors at the River Jordan in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, where the war continues, all choosing to travel there together to pray for peace. How many interfaith pilgrimages there have been over time. How many gatherings I've been blessed to be part of in my lifetime alone. And how many have been going on long before my birth. I think of the Iroquois Confederacy, just to name one, we have attempted to model our United States democracy on. How many will it take to truly honor and respect the diversity and therein discover the unity. Tomorrow, we launch another Solidarity Fund for yet another alliance focused on defending the sacred. We are asking for each in the alliance to work together to raise support for everyone, each and all, to reach out and find the partners who have resources to share, and who are ready to truly be partners. I heard that one founder of a foundation had already responded in part to the vision of the Alliance, saying, Oh yeah, we did that way back in the 70s. Like it was then done, and not to be done again? I asked, Aren't we willing to do it over and over again? When, if ever, is it okay to stop and decide that we have not gotten the results we wanted? I can only say in ceremonies and in actions that come through and out of place, earth place, I have always, yes, always, received a yes. It was and is the right thing to do for as long as the wars continue, if not for all of eternity. In summary, what it takes, as one elder once said, it's simple to do the right thing. On some level, I live with that question every day. Still, what is the right thing to do? After a lot of actions, protests, and uprisings in the 60s and 70s, my body, heart, and hope were broken. As a white woman of privilege, I had no excuse not to be happy, successful, empowered even. Instead, I felt humble and fell silent. Not because I didn't care or was unaware It was more that I received a message to stop and ask again. Dave Chappelle recently asked white women to just shut up. I must have heard him back then. It was 1978, and for the next years, I spoke very little, if at all. Mostly responding as best I could if asked a question. I stopped chanting slogans, demanding change, carrying signs, no more rallies, marches, or national women's gatherings. After 20 years of what I thought was then essential action, I turned more to the prayer part of the Dalai Lama's call for prayer.
and action. Perhaps in some way I needed to balance out a bit. But in truth, in hindsight, I feel I needed to own up to the not knowing how to create a more just, beautiful world for anyone. For black people, gay people, indigenous people, people of color, culture, much less for myself. My liberation was not intellectually tied to theirs. It was physically, psychically, spiritually, inescapably, and emotionally entwined. In 1980, I made vows with the earth. A few years later, I made them with Thich Nhat Hanh. I dedicated my life to relieve suffering, to ease suffering, to free all beings from suffering, to not contribute to more suffering in this world. What an outrageous, impossible statement and task. At best, I could speak it out loud as an intention. What I noticed, however, is that the lack of stating and claiming what I was for, a lot of focus till then, was only given to what was missing and what I was against. This included a very long list of the injustices in our world, and sadly still around today. All of them neatly tied up in a culture or a term called white supremacy, as they call it now, or patriarchy, or class one errors of permaculture in behaviors and lifestyles, culminating in genocide, slavery, violence, rape of land, women, children, and life. Now who? No matter what gender or race would want to live in or for that, The question of what to be for haunted me then and continues to live in me today. Without imagination, without a picture of possibility, I can't even get on an airplane. I can't take a step really downtown or travel anywhere. Some glimpse of the place that we are asking for, some picture of where we are looking to go, seems essential. I know that there are many who have had experiences of divine love. Yet I can't say honestly I have. And yet I can be grateful for the many small miracles and synchronicities, some might name them, magic moments that truly have kept me here headed, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, towards a North Star. The dolphin gave me a glimpse, a taste of a feeling I could not ignore. Native elders provided the inspiration that love was possible even after the most hideous breaking of trust. Black people in my life gave me the attitude, the courage, the passion, the song and movement I needed to go with. LBGTQ gave me the glimpse and give me the glimpse of sexual life beyond the boundaries my upbringing imposed. 
the youngers, always to this day. Not all of them, but just enough of them, the ones I am blessed to be with, gave or give me a sense that maybe, just maybe, there is evolution in this revolution. We are headed somewhere better for all, and not just going endlessly around in sub-madness, perpetuating the same suffering, subject to the demise of not only humanity, but of most species on Earth, if not Earth itself. So yes, I know that death will come for me and all in this planet as well someday. Meanwhile, Through the deep silence of not knowing, I entered, as long ago as this story speaks, 1978. I find myself still in it, committed 100% to love. Since then, I have to say what I have given my life to and for, I now see everywhere, with some new words and definitions along with so much of the similar intent. A dedication to the rights, education, and empowerment of girls and women, respect of indigenous people as our wisdom keepers and elders. The education and recognition of the United States history and foundation built upon the backs and oppression of BIPOC, black and indigenous people of color and culture. These two now being spoken, learned, and demanded more loudly than ever, along with louder voices for trans and non-binary, the recognition that we cannot be reborn into a more beautiful, just world until that which is broken is recognized and hospiced and dies. And so, my attention continues to be on rites of passage, not only for us, but for all of us. My attention is on building new soil and the earth here at Three Creeks, where not unlike in our little world, there are still huge boulders and rocks just underneath the surface. Do we have to remove them all before anything will grow? Or can we make compost and begin again? even knowing that the rocks, that some of them are still there, that the past will not just go away. Once there is healthy soil, even in a small section of the garden, a few strong plants can grow. They can be shared and can nourish others, community, companion plantings, make less and less room for the weeds to take over. Partnerships emerging, medicines discovered when watering the beauty. Some days I can rest feeling it is never enough, but just enough of what is truly needed and possible for now. I heard Michelle Obama recently speaking to some young African-American girls. She was encouraging them to know who they are, to live and tell their story, not to wait for the world to say what's okay or even to ask them. 
I found myself appreciating the relevance of her guidance and a timely reminder for me, if not for more. By knowing who we are as best we can and daring to live that, to say that, to write or sing that, we perhaps can let go and become. No mistake, the name of her story, her book, is becoming. Note the verb. Without doing that ourselves or supporting others to be truly who they are, we have no chance to become a new story, a new world that we're longing for. And so I write mine as a step to free myself from it, to move perhaps from the I to the we, just one more step, a little step each day. Along with Michelle, I've been reading and listening some to Robin D'Angelo over some days this past year. Such appreciation for her offerings, her research and education, her impact right now. And her style is quite familiar. It often takes a slap to wake people up. And that I can appreciate. She has made her living by doing so. Something that in and of itself is a challenge to do, i.e. to carry and share your views, your teachings as a spiritual teacher might do, or as in politics as well, and then have your own paycheck or survival dependent on it as a livelihood. The challenge of making a profession out of such and subjecting it to the marketplace. It leaves a lot of room for projections, for being subject to market trends, pressures to be compromised, if not corrupted, when one's work becomes one's career. A difference that I recognize is that I have had the economic independence for at least part of my life. To know that freedom and not have to depend on others in such a way, when I speak out, especially those who may not like what I have to teach or say. That added privilege, as it is often rightly named such, has as well its gifts and wounds. For example, Robin now has a very established identity and platform from which to speak. My family, as well as many, are still not sure exactly what it is that I do. That we that Robin speaks of, growing up as a white woman, is also different in ways that have surprised me. She tells of being white and knowing that she could have the love, the education, the job she wanted, that she could worship as she chose, and more. Relative to Muslim or Black in America, certainly that is the truth. That word, those words, are not my experience at all, even coming from the class I was in and out of. What also was different was my love of being white or joy of fitting in with the definitions of white beauty. Neither good or bad, woke or asleep, I actually never loved whiteness or any shape, really, of the white body. Somehow, if I am truthful, black and brown always seemed more beautiful. And I longed 
for the multicultural world. So much so, I worked to find it since my teens, getting jobs in other neighborhoods and countries. I found Indonesians and Guatemalans, the people of color and culture, most often to be my teachers, anyone I was fortunate enough to be with. Not to say I was not racist and entwined completely in a racist system. I was raised to be frightened of black men and in a city actually remain so today. And if honest, actually of most any man I am afraid of when alone on the streets. Whether that comes from being educated, privileged, or convinced of white supremacy or patriarchy, I'm not sure. I think it's more embodied in the experience of attempted rape. What I can be sure of is actually that there is a strange advantage, not only a disadvantage, that I have experienced from some of the kinds of less violent yet nonetheless discrimination towards girls and women. Advantages and disadvantages. I had to learn in numerous uncomfortable, at times frightening situations to find my voice, to stand my ground. I had to deeply question my value and worth at a young age when told after years in schools, including graduate universities, that I would at best end up as a wife, a secretary, or a cocktail waitress. I had to create a women's study department when there were no female students, much less departments. I had to speak up and challenge men leaders, oftentimes who called themselves liberated just in order to apply for a job. I had to speak up and challenge the men I worked with who were peace ambassadors, spending their evenings being with, if not part of, trafficking hookers and whores. Small struggles in the face of what women of color faced and face still today, not to mention trans and gay. Still, it was just enough to demand that I get on with showing up and define some value within versus the perceptions or stereotypes offered me from the outside. That experience to learn the gift in the wound was and is irreplaceable. As is clear when tracking behavior through many disasters, peace, connection, community can be found, if not created, in hellish experiences. Today I can see many of our wounds are similar and they are different, and the uprisings naturally continue as they must, whether on the individual level as a teenager within most every family, or as a gender most redefined in every generation, or as a race, most continually placed at war in a colonized, colonizing world. As I continue to uncover and reveal my own story, my own longing to be a free, erotic, wild being among many species, 
I learned a lot about predator and prey in the natural world. As I stand for myself, I have to choose and stand for all of life and turn again to the most essential teacher and ally of all, Gaia. Is there a world possible without making the other our enemy? Last week, a snake here on the land clearly, after weeks of stalking, attacked and ate the baby robin fledglings just hatched. It was a king snake, quite a fitting name. None of us intervened. And I can only say in this environment, our small community where many creatures of all kinds live, our silence felt right. That kind of silence in the human worlds we inhabit today, however, does not feel right. I might not be out on the street protesting these past weeks, but I support those who have. I might not have been there to say no to the killings of black men by police when it was happening, and I am showing up and examining the ways I am complicit. What are the ways I can say no to police violence, the funding of systemic racism, not just by voting or signing a petition, but actually every day? Showing up because we care is a full-time job. Whether a mom, an activist, a filmmaker, a white supremacy educator, there is no vacation from a journey to awakening. Even at night, our dreams can be a pathway to action, to healing for ourselves and others. They are my gateways to writing as well as to prayer and action. And it's in that that I truly rest, that I find home. The biggest privilege perhaps I have is to be able to dream and have that gateway into the past, present, and future. As an Aboriginal elder I know says, if we fall out of the dream, the dream time, we die. I have to say again, I have no feeling that I am special, meaning I am not above or better. Only I do feel unique. One simple story in the council, being true to who I am, Easier said than done sometimes, but I feel essential. In that way, I may contribute to the becoming not only of myself, but of all beings, to what is to become of our world. The truth I know most arises out of a story, a council of all beings. So may we live in the council of all beings and continue to live into and share our stories.